The reading of 365 Bible study, chapter 7 of Daniel. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Thank you for bringing us into your world, your chapter, the goodness of your word and your kindness and mercy every day. You have healed us, established us, and directed us. Thank you for being our friend. Thank you for being our counselor. Thank you, Lord God, for carrying us in your wings and protecting us. We love you and we praise you and we acknowledge you. Please be with us as we read your word that it may come alive and give us the supply we need in excitement, interest, development, and love. Thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for stopping by and enjoying a Bible study in the Word of God. We are reading from Daniel chapter 7. Early this, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he laid in his bed. He wrote down the dream and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. The four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the other. The first beast was like a lion with eagle wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with two hind feet on the ground like a human being, and it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, Get up, devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds' wings on its back, and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn off by the root to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. I watched as thrones were put in place, and an ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him, Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its sessions, and the books were up and open. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and his body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen. 
and my vision terrified me. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant. He explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. Then I watched to know the true meaning of the four beasts, the one so different from the others and so terrifying it had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling the remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the four beasts' head and the little horn that came up afterwards and destroyed three of the other horns. And this horn had seemed great, greater than the others, and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them. Until the Ancient One, the Most High, came and judged in favor of His holy people, then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Then He said to me, This fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and a half a time. But then the court will pass judgment, and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. That was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts, and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. Wow. Through this vision, God makes it clear that he is ultimately in control of all the moments of history. Daniel's vision is so clear and specific, it shows how sovereign God is. All worldly kingdoms will come to an end in contrast to God's eternal kingdom. This vision encourages us to believe in a God who is involved in our world. He knows how history will unfold, and His Spirit is guiding His people to fulfill all His plans. As we trust and obey Him, we participate in the history God has planned. Amen. A reading from the New Living Testament book, One Year, One Day at a Time, One Year Bible. And now the Recovery Bible says about this passage, This vision parallels with Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the great statue in chapter 2. Here, however, the representation the presentation of the successive world empires is made from a godly perspective. They are beastly in their thirst for power and control. Their violence and pride are directly opposed to what biblical recovery is all about. We can choose to be proud and abusive, but we will suffer the same terrible fate as the fourth beast. Or we can choose to enter recovery, sobriety, obeying God's will for our lives. If we do, we will enjoy the glory of God's kingdom forever. Amen. So what we're talking about is giving God 
the obedience of being good. God, I offer myself that I want to be good and help out in your kingdom. I need your power and your strength so I may show your glory. Amen. And then the Lord comes down and helps us. The evil ones will hate us and we will despise the evil ones. For the word of the Lord is written. The holy people, we work on our love. We have got to work on our love to survive. No greater love than this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Receiving the love of God, accessing it, and using it to further his kingdom. Amen. So be it. And now for a reading of 1 John chapter 1. This is the, 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 the one that brings love to me. Reading 1 John, five chapters, the five chapters in 1 John will bring the love necessary to combat the evil one. Combat sickness and disease, to combat hatred and the, the evil that's in the world. Through love, through reading the first John 1 through 5, the fruit of it will be the love of God. Everything follows the love of God. Laughter, joy, fulfillment, wisdom, resources, uh, completing of, of our task of what the Lord has planned for us. Amen and amen. Blessed be the Lord God that has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now reading 1 John. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we just testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare it to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin... We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Amen. In John... In these verses of John, disputes some claim made by false teachers. They denied the sins, breaks fellowship with God, and that they even had a sin problem. They denied this. 
These were lies that ignore a core truth. All people are sinners by nature and by practice. When we put our faith in God, our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But even after we become Christians, we still sin and still need to confess it. Otherwise, our sins will stand as a barrier to our fellowship with God. It is difficult for many people to admit their faults, even to God. It takes humility and honesty to recognize our shortcomings. But we need not fear revealing our sins to God. We know them already. He will not punish us, push us away and reject us. No matter what we've done, instead, he will draw us to himself. True confession also involves a commitment not to continue in sins. We wouldn't be genuinely confessing our sins to God if we planned to commit them again and just wanted temporary forgiveness. We should also pray for strength to defeat temptation and put plans in place to resist temptation the next time we face it. That's a very good article. That's right out of the 365. Now we're going to comment from the the Recovery Bible on 1 John. It says, John wrote to assure people who were doubting the value of their faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. In his letter, he sets out to show that faith in Christ is intellectually, socially, and emotionally satisfying. Spiritual recovery takes place only when there is healthy balance between intellectual, social, and emotional aspects of life, all centered on genuine faith in God. Dealing with our shortcomings and making amends where possible means facing all of our shortcomings in all areas of our lives. There is a strong contrast between the light of the Christian life and the darkness of a life controlled by sin. If we live in sin while claiming to be Christians, we are lying and will never successfully navigate the recovery process. Honest self-examination and accurate personal inventory are crucial for spiritual growth. Choosing to live in the light, continually acknowledging our flaws as the light reveals them, will result in a cleansed conscience and fulfilling revelation. We continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitting it. That's step 10, a 12-step devotional, current sins. We may feel awkward about bringing our recurrent sins before God over and over again, the same sin. We may be embarrassed by the number of times we have had to deal with the same issues, issues that stubbornly refuse to be washed away. We may imagine that God is collecting a long list of repeated offenses to be used against us. The Apostle John wrote, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. To confess means to agree with God and that and what He declares to be wrong really is wrong. This means we need to recognize our wrongs when they occur. John says that God will forgive us and cleanse us of every wrong. Each time we confess a sin, it is washed away. Our life is like a slate that has been wiped clean. Our sins are not recorded on some celestial list. They are gone forever, even when we make the same mistakes over and over again. God keeps forgiving us if we are truly repentant. 
Some areas of our life need more cleansing than others. God doesn't get angry when we come back to Him repeatedly. There's no need to feel awkward. God wants us to come to Him every time we sin. And one of the areas of getting rid of sin says, oh, Father, I thank you. I missed the mark. I messed up. And the reason you want to say thank you because you're accessing His mercy and you're agreeing with Him in what His Word says. His Word says that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, we're cleansed. And we're acknowledging that when we say, Lord, I thank you that I sinned again. I thank you I missed it. I'm a misfit, Lord. I thank you and I praise you that I'm a misfit. The reason we want to say thank you is because we're going around in a circle. We're coming to the accepting the forgiveness, accepting the beauty of, of mercy and 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 grace and acknowledging his love. Father, I thank you that I'm a misfit. I thank you that I messed up on this try again. Let me try again. And then you keep keep saying, oh, Father, I thank you I'm a misfit. You keep on saying it till your sin withers away. Amen. And it will, and it does, and it goes away permanently. If not, you can keep on doing it your way, regretting, remorsing, and, and, and trying to do it on your own power. This cleanses the arteries. You get cleansed from any pride, ego, arrogance, self-sufficiency, or the way we think a merciful God should act. You know, we're already, we're already saying, no, God is not that way. God won't forgive a person if I say, I thank you, I'm a misfit. How can that be? Well, then we're playing God. How can it not be if another Christian is telling you it worked for them and it has worked for millions of people? You got a, a, a kid that's run away, you thank God he's run away. You let go. It's a form, it's a form of letting go and letting God be God with praising Him and thanking Him and worship Him. It's a form of saying that God will answer us as we are speaking. He will answer us as we are speaking. Amen. All right, reading of Psalm 119, verses 153 to 176. We pray for the believers who are suffering of sin or in need of God's rescue. We pray for the Heavenly Father. We pray for the people that are suffering and in need of your glory and your honor, Lord God. That you may rescue them, Lord. That they may tell you and confess their sins. And come up for air by praising you and thanking you for their sins, Lord. We pray for these believers that will they use a different kind of prayer and learn to let go and let God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look upon my suffering and rescue me, for I have not forgotten your, your the Lord's instructions. Argue my case, take my side, protect my life as you promised. The wicked are far from rescue, for they do not bother with your decrees. Lord, how great is your mercy. Let me be revived by following your regulations. Many persecute and trouble me, yet I have not swerved from your laws. Seeing these traitors make me sick of heart, because they care nothing for your word. See how I love your commandments, Lord. Give back my life, because of your unfailing love. The very essence of your word is truth. 
All your just regulations will stand forever. Powerful people harass me with our cause, but my heart trembles only at your word. I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. I hate and abhor all falsehood, but I love your instructions. I will praise you seven times a day because of all your regulations are just. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. I long for your rescue, Lord, so I have obeyed your commands. I have obeyed your laws, for I love them very much. Yes, I obey your commandments and laws because you know everything I do. O Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind you promised. Listen to my prayer. Rescue me as you promised. Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. Let my tongue sing about your word, for all your commandments are right. Give me a helping hand, for I have chosen to follow your commandments. O Lord, I have longed for your rescue, and your instructions are my delight. Let me live so I can praise you, and may your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. Amen. In Proverbs 28, 23-24, In the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. In the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. In the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. Anyone who steals from his father and mother and says, What's wrong with that? It's no better than a murderer. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for coming on today's podcast. Appreciate, appreciate.